Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. You can also find this podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. You can also find it on iTunes. And lastly, we have added a new blog to support the program, and that is found at themormondiscussion.blogspot.com. So again, themormondiscussion, all one word, .blogspot.com. Today, what I want to do is spend some time talking about some comments from Richard Bushman back in 2008. I wish I had found these a lot sooner, but I didn't. And it's unfortunate because it probably would have saved me a lot of turmoil along the way to see him explain things in just such a perfect way to understand faith crisis. I've shared this, uh, his comments on several discussion boards that I participate in, so this may be redundant to some of you. But I also want to share some other information as well before we go into uh, the comments by Richard Bushman. Number one, I want to thank Costa Rica Travel Pass for being a sponsor of this program. They, uh, it's a, a travel uh, company that will help you arrange your next vacation to Costa Rica. And if you have any interest uh, as a listener to go to Costa Rica or to go on a very nice vacation and to have somebody work with you every step of the way to plan it out, if you'll please uh, call my sponsor, Costa Rica Travel Pass, at CostaRicaTravelPass.com. Also, I wanted to mention a thank you to... The interviews that I've done recently, they've all been exceptionally incredible. I've really enjoyed each of them. From Brian Whitney to Brittany Hartley to Morris to my most recent one, which was released last week, Matt Frankham. And I hope that each of you are enjoying those as they happen. They may not happen every week or every couple of weeks. It all depends on how many of you want to be interviewed and and to share your story and to share your journey or to have something specific within the world of Mormonism that you want to talk about. If you will email me or contact me uh, through the Facebook page or through the discussion, uh, Mormon Discussion podcast site or through the blog, I'd be happy to work with you and set up a chance for you to share your journey so that others that come behind you might have your experience to help them work through things. I think it's been a blessing. And I don't want to do things just from one side. I don't want to be vindictive towards the church or try to work from a negative standing. But, for instance, with the interview with Morris, even though he is not actively believing in the church, that I think his story was helpful to help some who who have gone through some of the issues that he has to work through those things. I also want to mention that there is a conference coming up on April 27th, that weekend. It will be in Kirtland, Ohio. It is for those who find themselves in the middle. doesn't necessarily mean the middle way. It can be the middle of the Mormon moment. It can be the middle of the country because we live in the Midwest. It can be the uh, a middle ground of trying to work within a faith crisis. Maybe that's where you're at. It's right in the middle of one. But the theme is in the middle. And so far, it looks like there are some great speakers lined up. Unfortunately, I will also be one of the speakers there. So so if, you, uh, if you've heard enough of me, which hopefully not since you're listening to this, you can look forward to hearing me speak at that. Again, that's in Kirtland, Ohio. One session will be in the Kirtland Temple. And there are several speakers uh, listed for that that I'm aware of that are very well known. 
and I don't want to release their names yet because I haven't gotten 100% confirmation of their speaking, but, but for those of you who can make it to this conference, I think you'll quite enjoy it. I wanted to uh, just kind of give an update, too, as well on me uh, personally. Um, there have been several opportunities lately to respond to emails from, from my listeners. I am grateful for each of your emails to hear how this podcast is impacting you and, and the work that is going on within uh, your wards and stakes. I had an opportunity just recently to have somebody email me that had used my uh, four-part discussion on the doctrine of Christ to help teach grace to a group of young single adults in their ward and that it had a giant impact on them and, and you could they could already see the fruits of that discussion where people no longer felt like things were on an obedience-based salvation, a works-based salvation, but rather in a a willingness and keep trying and as we do God's grace takes care of the rest I would like now to go to Richard Bushman's conversation that he posted and so I hope that you will bear with me I just think this is beautiful to set this up I'm sure everybody listening knows who Richard Bushman is but for those who don't Richard Bushman is a member of the LDS Church he is a American historian he is a professor of history emeritus at Columbia University. He's currently the Howard W. Hunter Visiting Professor in Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University. And he also serves as one of the three general editors on the Joseph Smith Papers. He did a, uh, he's, he's essentially the most renowned expert today on the prophet Joseph Smith. And you can see that by reading his book, Rough Stone Rolling, which is very much laying Joseph Smith's entire life on the table, good and bad, and then walking away saying there's no reason why we can't hold a faithful perspective of Joseph as a prophet. Uh, Brother Bushman was also on John DeLynn on Mormon Stories, did a several-part interview where they discuss a lot of the difficult issues. The uh, The interview was a beautiful interview. Unfortunately, the sound quality wasn't great, but if you can, if you can take the time to listen to his interview with John DeLynn, it gives you a real grasp of how how well informed uh, Brother Bushman is in the work and, and study that he's put into getting to know the Prophet Joseph Smith, all the ins and outs of the Prophet's life. So back in 2008, Brother Bushman had given a, uh, a talk, and this was from a 2008 summer seminar, Joseph Smith and His Critics, and it was given July 29th of 2008. And so everything I say from here on out will be from Brother Bushman unless I stop to maybe make a point along the way but I want you to be clear this is Richard Bushman's words and uh, I don't know that I could ever even come close to saying something as beautiful as Brother Bushman has here Brother Bushman begins by saying increasingly teachers and church leaders at all levels are approached by Latter-day Saints who have lost confidence in Joseph Smith in the basic miraculous events of church history they doubt the first vision the Book of Mormon many of Joseph's revelations, and much besides. They fall into doubt after going on the Internet and finding shocking information about Joseph Smith based on documents and facts they had never heard before. A surprising number had not known about Joseph Smith's plural wives. They are set back by differences in the various accounts of the first vision. They find that Egyptologists do not translate the Abraham manuscripts the way Joseph Smith did, making it appear that the book of Abraham was a fabrication. 
when they come across this information in a critical book or read it in one of the innumerable critical internet sites, they feel as if they have been introduced to a Joseph Smith and a church history they had never known before. They undergo an experience like viewing the famous picture of a beautiful woman who in a blink of an eye turns into an old hag. Everything changes. What are they to believe? Often church leaders and parents and friends do not understand the force of this alternate view. Not knowing how to respond, they react defensively. They are inclined to dismiss all the evidence as anti-Mormon or of the devil. Stop reading these things if they upset you so much, the inquirer is told. Or go back to the familiar formula, scriptures, prayer, church attendance. The troubled person may have been doing all of these things sincerely, perhaps even desperately. He or she feels the world is falling apart. Everything these inquirers put their trust in starts to crumble. They want guidance more than ever in their lives, but they don't seem to get it. The facts that have been presented to them challenge almost everything they believe. People affected in this way may indeed stop praying. They don't trust the old methods, because they feel betrayed by the old system. Frequently they are furious. On their missions, they fervently taught people about Joseph Smith, without knowing any of these negative facts. Were they taken advantage of? Was the church trying to fool them for its own purpose? These are deeply disturbing questions. They shake up everything. Should I stay in the church? Should I tell my family? Should I just shut up and try to get along? Who can help me? Others piece together a morality and spiritual attitude that stops them from declining morally, but they are not in an easy place. When they go to church, they are not comfortable. Sunday school classes and sacrament meeting talks about Joseph Smith in the early church no longer ring true. How can these people believe these fairy tales, the inquirers ask? Those who have absorbed doses of negative material live in two minds, their old church mind, which now seems naive and credulous, and their new enlightened mind, with its forbidden knowledge learned on the Internet and from critical books. A friend who is in this position described the mindset of the disillusioned member this way. Due to the process of learning which they have gone through, these two-minded Latter-day Saints often no longer accept the church as the only true one with the only true priesthood authority and the only valid sacred ordinances. But they see it as a Christian church, in which good-inspired programs are found, as well as failure and error. They no longer consider inspiration, spiritual and physical healing, personal and global revelation limited to the LDS church. In this context, these saints may attend other churches, too, where they might have spiritual experiences as well. They interpret their old spiritual experiences differently, understanding them as testimonies from God for them personally as a result of their search and efforts. But these testimonies don't necessarily have to be seen as confirmation that the LDS Church is the only true one. Since the social relationships between them and other ward or stake members suffer from avoidance, silence, even mobbing, because of their status as heretics, which is usually known via gossip, and since the extent of active involvement in range of possible callings are reduced because of their nonconformity in various areas, there is a risk that they end up leaving the church after all, because they are simply ignored by the majority of the other members. Then, his friend offers this recommendation. It is necessary that the church not only shows more support and openness to these apostates, 
but also teaches and advises all members, bishops, stake presidents, etc., who usually don't know how to deal with such a situation in terms of organizational and ecclesiastical questions, and, out of insecurity, fail to treat the critical member with the necessary love and respect that even a normal stranger would receive. Those are the words of someone who has lost belief in many of the fundamentals and is working out a new relationship to the church. Other shaken individuals recover their belief in the basic principles and events, but are never quite the same as before. Their knowledge, although no longer toxic, gives them a new perspective. They tend to be more philosophic, less dogmatic, about all the stories they once enjoyed. Here are some characteristics of people who have passed through this ordeal, but managed to revive most of their old beliefs. They often say they learned the prophet was human. They don't expect him to be a model of perfect deportment as they once thought. He may have taken a glass of wine from time to time, or scolded his associates, or even have made business errors. They see his virtues and believe in his revelations, but don't expect perfection. Number two, they also don't believe he was led by revelation in every detail. They see him as learning gradually to be a prophet and having to feel his way at times like most church members. In between the revelations, he was left to himself to work out the methods of complying with the Lord's commandments. Sometimes he had to experiment until he found the right way. Number three, these newly revived Latter-day Saints also develop a more philosophical attitude toward history. They come to see, like professional historians, that facts can have many interpretations. Negative facts are not necessarily as damning as they appeared at first sight. Put in another context alongside other facts, they do not necessarily destroy Joseph Smith's reputation. Number four, revived Latter-day Saints focus on the good things that they derive from their faith. The community of believers, the comforts of the Holy Spirit, the orientation toward the large questions of life, contact with God, moral discipline, and many others. They don't want to abandon these good things, starting from the point of desired belief. They are willing to give Joseph Smith and the doctrine a favorable hearing. They may not be absolutely certain about every item, but they are inclined to see the good and the true in the church. At the heart of this turmoil is the question of trust. Disillusioned Latter-day Saints feel their trust has been betrayed. They don't know whom to trust. They don't dare trust the old feelings that were once so powerful, nor do they trust church leaders. They can only trust the new knowledge they have acquired. Those who come back to the church are inclined to trust their old feelings. Their confidence in the good things they knew before is at least partially restored. But they sort out the goodness that seems still vital from the parts that now seem no longer tenable. Knowledge not only has given them a choice, it has compelled them to choose. They have to decide what they really believe. In the end, many are more stable and convinced than before. They feel better prepared to confront criticism openly, confident they can withstand it. All right, so that's the end of Brother Bushman's comments. And now I want to conclude with some other comments that were made in conjunction with this same, the same seminar of Joseph Smith and his critics, where there was a discussion about how to help those who are in faith crisis. And so this is still from the same uh, link where Richard Bushman gave his comments, but I'm not sure if these are Richard Bushman's comments or if this was the group's conclusions as a whole. So it says here, The members of the seminar on Joseph Smith and his critics, a group of religious education and CES faculty, 
who met at BYU for six weeks in the summer of 2008, are among those who have known Latter-day Saints in this state of confusion and doubt. We have had many opportunities to talk to questioners about their problems and admit that we often fallen short in our answers. We came together in hopes of learning to do better. Besides gathering information on a series of specific issues, we have discussed how best to deal with questioning saints. What way of speaking is most likely to win their trust and convince them we have their best interest at heart? We begin by agreeing that criticisms of Joseph Smith should not be dismissed as foolish or purely evil. The negative attacks that disturb first-time readers are usually based on facts, not merely prejudiced fabrications. To play down the force of the criticism, we believe, only convinces the seeker that we do not understand. We appear to be sweeping trouble under the rug. They may have been devastated by a criticism. We must show that we understand why. Consequently, the seminar took as its first principle to state the negative argument as fully and accurately as we can. We try not to minimize the difficulty or prejudice the case against the critic. In no other way can we persuade the doubters that we understand the problem. Secondly, we must try to avoid dogmatic answers. Rather than replace the dogmatic negative attacks of the critics with our own dogmatic answers, we attempt to show that a more positive interpretation is possible. Critics often claim that Joseph's sins were so egregious as to utterly disqualify him as a prophet. We can understand their viewpoint, but we think there is another side to the story. Rather than destroy the critics, we want to loosen their grip. In the long run, we believe this approach will persuade questioners more effectively than claims to certainty where none is possible. We believe in stating our own strong convictions about the church as a whole, but we do not pretend to perfect knowledge about complex historical questions. We know that airing criticism troubles many Latter-day Saints. Like most church teachers, the members of the seminar do not want to draw attention to questions that will only unsettle faithful members. But we also feel that silence is not the answer. The absence of instruction troubles questioners more than anything. They feel they have been betrayed because they came through their church classes ignorant of the devastating information now a few clicks away on the Internet. The gaps of their education leave them disillusioned and angry. To counteract this lack of preparation, the seminar members have taken as our model the scripture that begins, As all have not faith, teach one another, found in Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 118. We are encouraged by the scriptural recognition that not all have faith, and by the appealing remedy, teach one another. For many questioners, loneliness is the heart of the problems. No one seems to understand. We are enjoined by this scripture to find these seekers and bring them into fellowship of inquiry. We hope that our prayers will help church teachers create safe havens where questions may be asked and answers explored where we can teach one another. That's the conclusion of the remarks. May I add just a few thoughts? I think if you go back and, and read this, I'll leave the link on this episode so that you can go and click where this is. I've put it on my blog, again, themormondiscussion.blogspot.com, so it's on there, and I also highlighted there, in blue, the parts that I think are the most important, and so you can, in a few minutes, read over it and really grasp, to me anyway, what is at the heart of what's going on. He covers everything. He covers the pain that people feel, the reasons why they don't talk, the responses that faithful members give that are not helpful. 
he talks about some of the solutions in how we need to be more open in willing to sit down and acknowledge these issues, not brush them away as as delusion or as anti-Mormon lies, that most of this is based in facts. He talks about those who make it through and how they see the church differently. And while he doesn't directly say it, you get the impression that that really is the ideal way to see the church, is this, is this idea of what a revived Latter-day Saint is and how they facilitate things through their mind and how they work out things within the gospel. I think for anybody who who is struggling, who is encounter difficult information, I think to read uh, Brother Bushman's comments ends with the same thing I've continually tried to point out, which is that faith on some level is a choice, that the evidence on both sides is mounting, that one is f- absolutely free to act and not be acted upon, that one can choose to believe the LDS Church is exactly what it claims to be, but yes, unfortunately, humans are involved, and when they are, it's messy. Or one can look at the evidence and say, nope, sorry, church isn't true. It is not the only true and living church on the earth. I uh, I hope that as each of us recognize it is a choice, and that evidence is on both sides, that one will then lean on his spiritual impressions, those things that come from the Holy Ghost, and that one will find a way out the other side in such a way that where they arrive is so much more beautiful than where they came from. And I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless. And may the Lord warm your shoulders.